due to various reasons. The Easter Bunny hadn't come when they woke up. Uh, so, <laughs> controversy. Uh, fortunately, while they were distracted watching telly, the Easter Bunny did come. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> everything was fine. <laughs> Um, but yes, it can be um, overwhelming at times at Easter with the amount of stuff that is pushed at us. I don't know if you've experienced the same as me, um, but yesterday I typed Easter 2014 into Google, uh, into the image search. Uh, these lovely images we've seen today, you know, of the tomb, things like that, looking for things like that. And, uh, and all that came up were bunnies, eggs, and chicks. Um, <laughs> you know, like little, little chickens. Uh, and it was just... Um, one of those things where you just think, oh, how sad, you know, that when you type in Easter, all you get is that. Um, so, first of all, we've got a little clip to show you. Is that all right, Dan? Have we got sound? Does it seem to be any sound? Just to um, preview this, um, YOLO stands for, it's text speak for you only live once. Um, so this will make sense when you see it, hopefully. Maybe we should just have to wait a little bit. <laughs> While they're queuing this up, I just want to say... Um, the most important thing I could possibly say today is that God loves you. Um, please don't, don't think that um, it's all about um, just a set of doctrine that you have to believe to get your ticket into heaven. It's not like that. Um, God actually desires to have a relationship with you, an actual real relationship because he is alive. And that's what I really want to get across this morning, that he sent his son to die for you because of our wrongdoing because of the things I did wrong, because of the things you did wrong. But because he rose from the dead, because he rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin and death and sickness. Part of what God started to do this morning is he's starting to break things, because he has the authority to do that. So I just encourage you, throughout the rest of this day, Church is not just in this building. Do church outside of this building as well. And allow God to break through in your personal situation. Okay, so let's... Are we ready now? <laughs> Still a lot of activity back there. I heard a good sound. Please watch it again on YouTube later. Um, it's a shame, you know, when the, uh, the processors can't keep up with it. Um, so <laughs> you get the message, though. At least the sound was there. Um, he is risen. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen. Um, I'm going to take you through very quickly. I'm not going to speak for long. Um, the resurrection accounts. Um, as someone who takes an interest in history, um, you're always supposed to go to the evidence. And uh, the evidence is very compelling for all of this. Um, all the, the four Gospels have their own account. Um, Brian read out from, was it John, earlier on. Um, so in, in Matthew 28, I'm just going to take little bits out of this. Um, yeah, from verse 1 of Matthew 28, you may want to have a look. Um, 
After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. I always like to stop at these moments and just imagine. Because great earthquakes aren't supposed to happen. There were two. The first one happened when Jesus died on the cross. The earth shook. Rocks were split in two. Um, It's all in there. The second one happens as he rises. And these are, you could explain them away if you like as scientific, you know, seismological events. But these things happened and the timing can't be denied. The timing was critical. These earthquakes happened for a reason. Then it says, following on there, it says, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And I particularly like the fact that Matthew mentions that he sat on the rock. Because that rock was underneath him now. That rock was holding back Jesus. That rock was now moved and it was down. It was a big rock. Uh, then it, uh, Matthew starts to describe the angel. He says his, spirit, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So he kind of glowed. You get that impression. Um, and for fear of him, in verse 4, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that in a, in a church context or in a meeting where the Holy Spirit and the presence of God is so strong that people look like they're dead. It's a first aider's nightmare. I've been on first aid in, in meetings where these things are happening and, and you just don't know where to look. You don't, you don't know what's happening. And you have to be very in tune with God to know who's actually collapsed and who's genuinely under the power of God. Trust me, if you've been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but then the angel spoke to the women and said, don't be afraid. And he tells them to go and speak to the disciples to tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, and they went they ran with fear and great joy. In Mark, Mark 16, um, right at the beginning of the chapter again, similar accounts. Um, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So there's another piece of evidence. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. (laughs) It's it's the English standard version, so it's understated. (laughs) They were alarmed. For that, read, terrified, I imagine. Uh, And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. So they're told to go again, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. In Luke, uh, Luke was a stickler for detail. Uh, If you know anything about Luke, he was a physician. Uh, He's an intelligent man, and he he wanted to make sure the facts were put down in detail. So in Luke's account of the gospel, you get a lot of detail. Um, And he says in chapter 24 of Luke, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He's not here, but has risen. And then he reminds them, the angel reminds them of, that Jesus said this would happen. Okay, and then they went and told the disciples. So although there are slight differences in the accounts, you have to imagine this is 60 years after the event these were written. These are first-hand accounts of what they'd heard and of what had gone on. And in John, as we heard earlier, um, again, it mentions the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So there's all this evidence. There will be, if you, if you fancy going and looking for it, evidence from other writers. There are historical records of this event. There are other accounts saying that Jesus then appeared to hundreds of people. Why am I telling you all this? Most of you believe in Jesus. And you believe all this anyway. I'm reminding you. But for those of you that don't believe in Jesus this morning, those of you who came here because it's Easter, someone invited you, you need to understand it's not a fairy tale. It's not just a children's tale that we we, we tell the kids because it's nice and it's part of our culture. It's real. It actually happened. Unfortunately, we live in a a country where our sense of humour can be our worst enemy. And uh, we hear comedians now joking about being saved by Jesus. It's almost like it's a bit twee, so we should mock it. Um, That You get the feeling uh, that it's somehow sad that well-meaning Christians believe in this stuff. I mean, poor them. Bless them. You know, that kind of attitude. It's cool in our culture to mock and laugh at ourselves. One of our most popular shows on the telly is Mock the Week, where we celebrate mocking politicians and satire. And because we've dressed it up in a TV show, we think it's acceptable. In America, they don't understand us. (laughs) Because although they, they do have shows like that in America, they're not as critical as we are. They're not as cynical as we are. And they do find us odd sometimes because we find that stuff amusing. Sometimes cynicism can saturate your outlook until you can't see the good in anyone. Um, I had a, a, I won't go into detail, but um, a few years ago, something happened at work, and uh, I got a new boss. Political situation, someone moved out, someone moved in. No one got a choice over the new boss. Nobody liked the new boss. Nobody wanted to cooperate with the new boss. Everyone worked actively against the new boss. Apart from me. Because I prayed about it and God told me to support the new boss. (laughs) Try and be a good influence. So I did and I became really unpopular for a year or two. Um, I was the one who would sit at the front of the meetings while everyone else sat at the back. There'd be four empty rows behind me. And I'd sit down and I'd be totally embarrassed. And I'd just quietly just pray, God... You've told me to do this, so I'm going to sit here. And you know what? Dribs and drabs, people started to join me at the front. (laughs) It took about 18 months before uh, the majority of people were back on board. And the new boss told me, one-to-one, on one occasion, you appear to be the only person supporting what I'm trying to do. Okay, that's... That's because it's about obedience. Um, (laughs) I'm no longer, I used to be, but I'm no longer ambitious. I've given it up, given it back to God. um, Because (laughs) I've discovered 
the, the higher up you go in organizations and um, whatever it is you work for, the less time you have to do the important things in life. And I'm actually at the stage where I'd quite happily give it all up <laughs> just to spend more time with my family. I can see some of you feel the same. So sometimes you have to be radical. Anyway, Christians are increasingly depicted as hypocrites in the media, sometimes rightly. What does it mean, though, to be saved? I don't know if you've seen Milton Jones. Uh, He's a comedian. He wears Hawaiian shirts and has crazy hair. He happens to be a Christian. And uh, I once heard him interviewed, and he said, said, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he said, yes, I'm a comedian that's a Christian, not not a Christian comedian. (laughs) <laughs> he was very quick, he was on Radio 2, to, to put them right. And he said this, this is brilliant. Being saved is to realise your company is bankrupt, but then to get an offer from a huge investor at the last moment. Yeah. Obviously, there will have to be changes, but incredibly, they still want you to run the company. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> That's what being saved is like. All is lost. All is lost. But then, God comes along. And gives you an offer you can't refuse. (laughs) But (laughs) I love that bit. Incredibly, they still want you to run the company. That summed it up quite well. I'm going to just tell you two quick stories about real people. One quite a long time ago and one very recent uh, that will sum up for me what the gospel's like. First one is a guy called Alban. um, And you may know there's a city called St. Alban's. There's a huge cathedral in St. Albans, which I've been to as a younger man. Um, I w- went in there and came back out again without knowing who Alban was. Um, as a classic um, 20-something bloke probably does. You go in and go, oh yeah, big. <laughs> Cold. Books. All right, let's go. Gift shop. Okay, that was, that was kind of my outlook at the time. Uh, but St. Alban wasn't a saint when he was alive, obviously, but um, he was just called Alban the bloke down the road, Um, and he was the first martyr of Britain, apparently. Alban was a pagan, which means he didn't really have a religion, um, living in Roman Britain in the 4th century. Pretty tough place to live then, because there were harsh persecutions taking place under the emperor Diocletian. So he was cracking down. And one day, a priest, fleeing the pagan magistrate, hid near Alban's door. Alban saw him, took him in, and gave him refuge. He would have known at this point, Alban was well known, um, if you read into the story, he would have known that doing that was to harbour a criminal because the Romans wanted this priest dead, probably because he wouldn't behave. Over the next days, Alban saw how the priest prayed, thanking God and asking him to keep others safe. Alban observed the man's piety, his gentleness and joy in the Lord. He asked many questions of the priest and finally decided to become a Christian himself. It wasn't long before the authorities came looking for the priest, having heard that Alban was harbouring a fugitive. In order to give the priest a chance to get away, Alban put on the other man's cloak and let the soldiers take him away, believing that he was the priest they were seeking. This guy's only been a Christian a matter of a day. The magistrate, while questioning Alban, discovered the deception. Furious that a fugitive had been allowed to escape, he threatened that his prisoner would face the execution that had been intended for the priest. He became even more angry when Alban didn't protest, saying that if the price of his new faith was death, he was willing to pay it. 
That took some guts. The magistrate ordered Alban to be beheaded, and the sentence was promptly carried out. And today, churches, abbeys and shrines, even a town, all over England bear the names of this first martyr. He was prepared to put himself in the gap between that unnamed priest who was on the run and the authorities who were, who were just killing people. Ultimately, that was the way they ruled. That is like Jesus. The Bible says, No greater love has any man than he lay down his life for his friend. There are many examples. Another one, in 2009, uh, a veteran Texas skydiving instructor called Dave Hartsock Uh, I don't think this guy's a Christian, but he was in the middle of a 13,000-foot-high tandem jump uh, with a grandmother called Shirley Digert, a first-time diver. When he discovered that neither of his two parachutes would open all the way to stop their freefall, red alert screamed through his brain as he struggled to untangle the parachute lines. They fell thousands of feet, then a few thousand more. With just seconds left to go before impact... Hartsock opted to use control toggles to rotate his body so that he cushioned Digert, absorbing the brunt of the force when the two of them hit the ground. This only happened five years ago. Hartsock's quick thinking saved Digert's life. While she sustained some injuries, she recovered and is able to function normally. But Hartsock paid a monumental price. The fall paralyzed him from the neck down, most likely permanently, and he now needs help to do things as basic as getting dressed or taking a bath. Digert, who has kept in touch with Hartsock since the accident, sometimes tears up when she thinks about what a sacrifice her instructor made for her, saying, how can somebody have that much love for another person? See, we read stories like this, and we think, wow, that's amazing. And we tell all our friends, and we share it on Facebook, and we tweet it, and we send it out by email, and go, look at this story, isn't it incredible? And everyone likes it. But I bet if you send out a little gospel story about Jesus and what he did, you might get 10, 12 likes. A story like that will get 28,000. There is no difference in the reality of those stories. All of them happened. All of them are true. But the greatest of them was Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man, hanging on a cross that he could easily get off any time he liked, with thousands of angels at his disposal, choosing to stay there, and take the price for my sin. And I will never stop thanking him for that. I'm so grateful that he did that, and I'm so sorry that I caused it. But then Sunday came, and the Romans thought they'd dealt with this. (laughs) They thought they'd dealt with this Jewish situation. Let the high priests have their law. Let them put him to death. Then we'll get rid of this situation. Pilate probably thought, you know, he literally washed his hands and said, do what you like. It's nothing to do with me anymore. As far as he was concerned, three days have gone past. That's it. I'm done with this. Let's move on. Where are we invading next? (laughs) Or something like that. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, it all breaks loose, doesn't it? And this tomb is rolled out the way. The rock goes. There's angels. Suddenly... The disciples come out of hiding. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other languages. It all kicks off in Acts. Please read Acts. 
It's amazing. It's the, probably the best book in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. It's just incredible what actually happens. And if you just, as you're reading the Bible, just think, this is happening now. Put yourself in that situation. You get a sense of the excitement that was building up. Death was no longer a threat they were scared of. And this is the thing that gets me. You know, from time after time throughout history, people dominate another, another culture, another nation, through using death as a threat. If you do that, we'll kill you. If you stop us, we'll kill you. If you try and do anything, we'll kill you. Well, the Christians had an answer. No one else, everyone else just go, all right, <laughs> okay, have your way. But the Christians just went, yeah, do what you like. <laughs> and they would smile. They'd unlocked death. Jesus had unlocked death and said, don't be afraid of it anymore. Okay. I often ask myself when I read stories like the, the, the parachute guy, what would I have done? Firstly, I don't know how to parachute. <laughs> so I probably just screamed. <laughs> but, but if I was him, I don't know if I'd have the presence of mind. Or the, the courage to actually do that. You, you'd think, you've only got seconds, you'd think of preserving your own life. He didn't. Let's go to Matthew 19, verse 24 and 26. Conscious of time, so I'll be quick. And Jesus said this, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, um, which is a tiny door in a wall, by the way, big enough for a child to get through. So it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Came out of the mouth of Jesus, that did. With God all things are possible. So none of you and none of your relatives and none of your friends are beyond his reach. They're beyond our reach, maybe. You know, I think of my cousin. Bless him. He's a long way from God. He had his opportunity when he was younger. He turned it down. He's now living quite a messed up life. I can't reach him. Won't listen to me. But God can. So I'm not going to stop praying for him. I'm not going to give up. I'm really grateful that Jesus was obedient to his father in going to the cross. Because he was actually obedient. He did pray in the garden, take this away from me, because it's too much to bear. He was an innocent man, completely innocent, taking the punishment for all of us. If you can get your head around that, (laughs) billions of people and all their sin piled on him. He knew what was coming. It wasn't an ordinary death. And he went there willingly. Well, I've discovered that real life starts when you come into a relationship with Jesus. And that's what Easter's all about. He's alive. He's alive, folks. Another Milton Jones quote, It's tempting to only start to pray to God when things take a big turn for the worse. But there may not even be time for introductions. There's an urgency in the gospel. There's an urgency in the word of God that says, Don't delay becoming a Christian. Don't think about it for a week. If God's on your case and you know that you need to make a decision for him, do it today before you leave. Okay. 
One final story from Luke, Luke 12. And it's the story of the rich fool. And I think it's relevant for our times. So this is a parable, a story with a message. Uh, And Jesus said that the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is a hard message for us. Because we live in the rich, affluent West. And we have a lot of stuff that we don't like to give up. We like our comfortable lives. (laughs) Um, I recently watched this film, Captain Phillips. You've seen that? The Somali pirates. These guys, you know... When, when the, the leader of the pirates is told you're going to be going to prison in America, he was like, okay, America's good. It's like, they've got tellies, cars, you know. It's like, for him, it was an improvement. We need to understand that, I think. Whatever it is for us, cars, money, houses, success, accolades, being patted on the back, or just collecting more stuff. You, know, you haven't quite got the entire suite of Apple products yet. So, <laughs> so you need a couple more to just complete the array. So when people come around your house, you can go, here's my iPad, here's my other iPad, here's my 10 other iPads, and these are the new ones. And there's my iMac with the uh, 28-inch screen. You know, what are we doing there? What are we doing there? It's, it's, it's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong in any sense. It's a little bit greedy to have 10 iPads. However... Where is our treasure? Where is it? Someone took away your cars tomorrow? Took away your Apple products? Your other tablets and Wi-Fi enabled devices? (laughs) Just imagine. I often say this to the teenagers at school. I say, just imagine if all the mobile phones stopped working for a day. And they go... (gasps) You can see all the girls checking. It's okay, it's okay. (laughs) And then they'll send a quick text just to make sure. You know, we get addicted, don't we? But our treasure needs to be in Jesus. Otherwise, um, well, Jesus was very blunt about it. He said, you're a fool. Jesus, to speak like that, is very strong. So what matters, folks, is a personal relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. Our families matter more than these things, and our community matters more than these things. I'm echoing. So as we go about our day, um, try not to eat too many Easter eggs. The more I eat, the more I look like an egg. I'll just say that. So I'm cutting back on my Easter egg intake this year, going down from about 30 to about 3. I encourage you to do the same, you know, just reduce it, and uh, (laughs) it'll be good for you. Uh, But enjoy family, 
Enjoy being with the ones you love uh, and your friends. That's what it's all about. But please don't, if, if, if you came here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and, and you would like to be on the inside looking out for once, um, please speak to me afterwards. I'd love to speak to you and just explain that a bit more to you. There isn't time. And if you're one of those who is in a situation where you need a breakthrough, as Alison said and Pete, don't give up. He's the God of breakthrough. And this empty tomb provides the answer. So I'm pleased to be able to to focus on that today because it's so good. So guys, have a great Sunday. I'm done here. And uh, yeah, steady on the eggs. (laughs) Thank you.